Welcome, Soul Tribe, to Deep Soul Awakenings with your hosts, Chastity Ryan and Millie Franco. Get ready to shed some light on the unspoken aspects of spiritual and healing journeys. Hey, guys, and welcome to this week's episode of Deep Soul Awakenings. We are your hosts, Chastity Ryan. And Millie Franco. What's up, everybody? So for today's episode, we are actually going to be talking about codependency. We may touch on some other um, topics that kind of coincide with it, like toxic relationships, um, codependency in itself, and then also narcissism, because a lot of times it all kind of goes hand in hand. So I want to start off the episode by asking you, Chas, what are like three of the biggest like red flags for you when it comes to toxic relationships? Mm. My three biggest red flags. First, I would say like early on, I would say uh, what they call love bombing. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's when they they go a little too hard too soon. Mm -hmm. you know, with calling you and telling you how great you are and wonderful you are, you know, they bombard you with phone calls and texts and, and you're just like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is amazing. (laughs) Right. Like I've never had someone see me this way. Mm -hmm. I, let me tell you, I fell for that hook, line and sinker so many times. Same, same. Oof. so many times like I more than I, I want to admit tell you. <laughs> right I Man, like <laughs> I I never understood that that was actually toxic behavior because I always coincided it with wow this this guy is like super into me mm-hmm. and this is really amazing and you just sort of get a high off of it mm-hmm. right yeah. <laughs> you're you're looking forward to their good morning texts and the the heart and kiss emojis and mm-hmm. all that stuff and i feel like for for those of us who are recovering codependence like myself and me i i never really felt seen like you know last week we talked about inner child and one of my wounds was not being seen yeah. as a child there were times where i wasn't fully seen so when I would be love bombed, I felt seen. Yeah. So it was just like, wow, like this guy's really into me. He really sees me. And Finally, validation is here. <laughs> <laughs> that part, you know yes. what I'm saying? So that was always, I mean, now I'm aware mm-hmm. of the toxicity with that. Yeah. Through much trial and error, might I add. <laughs> yeah. I learned my lesson, but and for everyone that's listening, like I said, you know, initially you, you probably feel the way I did in the beginning. Oh, that, that's not a big deal. I, I, I like that. I like that a guy is showering me with attention and there's nothing wrong with that guys by any means. But if what I'm talking about with the love bombing aspect is when it's a little too excessive mm-hmm. because I would find myself um, with one particular guy that I dated who was textbook narcissist and I had no clue we would text all day long we would be on the phone for hours and hours on end like Mm -hmm. every day Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. yeah so facetiming all that stuff so it was over it was over the top and 
at some point, what's weird, I did feel my spidey sense go off. Yeah. I did feel a little smidgen yeah. of discomfort with it. Yeah. But I ignored it. I ignored it because I'm like, he's into me. I'm overreacting. Yeah. But and I mean, at that point, too, it's like I have this person who is finally giving me this attention and seeing me and giving me all of this validation. Like you're also kind of telling like your your intuition, like, hey, shut up. <laughs> like he, he, <laughs> I'm, I'm being acknowledged. Shut up. You know, right. and it didn't it didn't really set the alarm off until one day I was busy at work and mm -hmm. you know he hit me up and I couldn't respond because I was busy working mm -hmm. that's when it got weird hey uh why you're not answering me is everything okay call me back text me back are you there and then it just got and I'm like whoa okay what the hell is going on here <laughs> yeah yeah I've experienced similar that's very, when it dawned similar. on me yeah and that, I was like okay <laughs> like, uh, yeah <laughs> yeah right like I'm just reading these texts like what the hell he called me at work on my extension yeah I've I've experienced similar um that for me is also uh one of my what one of my red flags and um I was in a relationship where and and you know I also think that we live in a day and age where because of electronics and the internet and all of these things that keep us connected, we assume that we should be connected 24 hours a day, seven days a week at all times. Everyone should be accessible, which is not necessarily the truth. We all need downtime. We all need time to decompress, be alone, you know, reflect. And I remember in this specific relationship at first, it was very like, hey, good morning, love bombing, love bombing, contract all day, conversations all day, everything super consistent. And then, you know, it would be the days where it would dwindle and I'd be like, hey, are you okay? Like, we usually talk all day, you should say good morning, you didn't say good morning. And it would be like, well, his response would be like, you know, well, what the fuck? Like, why do I need to say good morning every morning? You know, I also work and I'm also tired, blah, 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 blah. And then me at that time with my wounds, I'd be like, oh, well, shit, like I shouldn't have done that. Um, you know, clearly he got upset and I should just be happy when he texts me because, you know, he's texting me and, you know, I wouldn't, I would always tell myself it was my fault because at that time, you know, everything to me was like a, a me thing. I didn't understand what projecting was. Right. And then I remember one time for New Year's, you know, I was with my family, we're all hanging out. I wasn't paying attention to my phone. And then all of a sudden, when I looked at my phone, it was like I had like 50 missed calls from his number and then unknown numbers and then private numbers. And I was it's like, not right. yeah, it's and I was like, right. this, this like, is weird. This doesn't feel right. Yes. And then I remember going on to Instagram and it was like, he was sending me videos and in these videos, he was fucking cursing me out, flipping out on me, degrading me, calling me every name in the book, telling me I was fucking someone else, which now, now I know he's a narcissist, but at the time I didn't. I didn't know what the fuck a narcissist was, you know, and it, it was just so crazy. And, you know, I'm the type of person that for me, luckily after like my teenage years, especially after I had Julian, when I start to see that in a relationship, I leave. Mm -hmm. um, and that for me was the point where I was just like, no, I got to go because I'm not going to have no man in my life, like calling me a hoe and telling me all this crazy shit when I'm literally sitting here with my family. 
But then in that, I saw the pattern as well, because I remember when I was younger in my past relationships, I always took it as, well, if he's screaming at me and he's cursing at me and he's telling me that he wants to know where I am, that he cares about me because we have like that. It's like we, people tend to idolize like that Joker and Harley Quinn type of toxic relationship. Big time. And it's like, you don't realize that all of these things are unhealthy. You don't realize that him wanting to know where you are 24 seven and what, what you're doing, where you are. And, and, and if, if, if you're breathing the same air as another man, you know, to accuse you of doing things with this other man is incredibly toxic and we're raised in situations where we're so used to these types of things that we think it's normal. And we think that that's actual love but in healing now for me, like that's one of the things that I look for, like in the beginning when I'm talking to somebody, like, are they love bombing me? Are they trying to speak to me all day? Like, are they setting this precedent that I know is not, no one is going to be able to keep? Yeah. And I'm really glad you touched on that for everybody that's listening. Love bombing. It's a temporary stage in the grooming process yep. because this is exactly mm. what they're doing. When they love bomb you, they're grooming. And this is the thing, this applies to all kinds of connections. It's not just a romantic one or dating. I've encountered this with friendships. Same. Okay. With coworkers that they'll want to get real friendly, buddy, buddy with you initially. Because on the other side of it, I experienced it in the workplace. I had a coworker that was (laughs) extra nice with me and, hey, you want to go to lunch? It was nice, you know, because I was new. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to have someone be friendly, you know, because, you know, when you're the new person in the job, everybody sort of looks at you with a side eye or that yeah. you're the new person and they're not very approachable at first. So I remember this person was really super friendly with me and I felt, again, seen. Yeah. You see how Those every core time I always pop up. This, yeah. My wound was being filled at this time. It was being fed, right? So I became friends with this person and she just started to ask me personal questions. And that's another thing. The love bombing process is, they usually get personal with you very, very quickly. And they even reveal, Mm -hmm. they even reveal super personal things about themselves Mm -hmm. just so that they can gain your trust. Because- I'm sure you felt like this too. When they would tell you super personal things, mm-hmm. wow, they, they trust, trust me. me. Yeah, they trauma trust bonding me at this. its finest. Exactly. So that automatically leaves you open. Well, they're willing to tell me deep, intimate things. Mm-hmm. So I should respond in kind, right? But what was interesting was I always had my boundaries with the workplace. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I never got too close or too deep with people in the workplace. That was always a real solid boundary that I had. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I think at that point, that's when I started noticing that this doesn't, the whole love bombing thing, or if you want to call it something, you know, when from a platonic perspective, mirroring, Mm -hmm. the love bombing and the mirroring sort of goes hand in hand because, like, when they ask you about your hobbies, Oh my God, I'm into that too. My God, and me you too. Find, yeah, yeah, me too. Oh wow, me too. I love that movie. Oh my God, yes, I love, I love that color. That's my favorite color too. Mm-hmm. Oh wow, yeah, I love Italian food. That's my favorite. 
all of a sudden you're like, wow, this person and I, we have so much in common. This is amazing. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is a, this is the best shit since sliced bread. Mm-hmm. So I just noticed that it got with the personal questions. Then she told me right off the bat, she's in the middle of a divorce and I don't know this lady from Adam. So she just mm-hmm. got real deep real quick. And I'm just like, okay, maybe she has nobody to talk to. Or is this, this is my, right. you know, empath side drawing all right. of this out of her. Exactly. The empath in me was trying to be reasonable. Thinking Let of me it help from a conscientious she can feel my energy. Yeah. Maybe she needs somebody to talk to. But then when it was like I mentioned with, with the mirroring, mm-hmm. then it became, I would wear an outfit to work. Mm-hmm. And like two days later, she would wear the same outfit. Yeah. I actually experienced something like that with an ex-boyfriend. I, I say they steal your, it's like they steal your identity in a sense. Yeah. With and all when the I things would, that make you you. I would tell her like, like we used to email, you know, into office email. Mm-hmm. And I would be like, hey, um, do you feel like having sushi for lunch or whatever? And it became, and she introduced me to her girlfriends, right? They were like mm-hmm. a little crew. And I became a part of them. And then I would suggest sushi. And then she'd be like, hey, guys, let's go get sushi. Oh, that's a great idea. And I'm like, I just, okay. I just said that, but okay, whatever. Yeah, it was those little nuances that <laughs> yeah. kept happening. And she started to dress similar. And then, um, like, when I would, and she was a really big brown noser with my supervisor. Mm-hmm. So, um we had just got trained in a new system. And since I had computer experience, I took to the new system very quickly and they Mm -hmm. had me as the trainer for my department. Mm -hmm. So she totally flipped on me and was super jealous about that. Yeah, because you you took the power that she wanted essentially. Yeah, she's like, oh, so, oh, so you think you're you're all that because you're computer savvy? I know all that I need to know and I'm picking it up just as quickly. And like, there will be looking at her, like, I'm just trying to help everybody. There will be these little snide remarks. Mm -hmm. And then I just distanced myself at that point because I saw that, like you said, the total 360, Mm -hmm. I became from a friend to an enemy. Oh, especially when I got promoted, Mm -hmm. when I got promoted and I got a raise, it just went from zero to 60. It just went from friend to enemy immediately. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean, guys. This is a temporary process when they groom you this way because they want to know about you. They want to mm-hmm. gain your trust. They want to learn really personal things about you so yeah. that later on they can exploit it. Yeah. So they can, they, they, this way they know where to hit you. They know where, where your wounds are. So when they mm-hmm. say something to you, they know how to make you doubt yourself. Right. Because when I got to the point where I would call them out or I would confront Mm -hmm. them, they would have what you call a narcissistic injury. Mm -hmm. Like, don't you dare approach me. Don't come at me. Like I Mm -hmm. did something Mm -hmm. like something's wrong with you. How dare you call me out? You're the problem. Right. Right. And how, how dare you call me out in front of people and try to make me look bad? Yeah. God forbid. And that's what and it's about perception. How, how do I look in front of everybody? What, what, and if you try to make me look bad, I'm going to try everything in my power to ruin you because that's really what they want to do. Ruin you. 
Yeah. So that this way, um, you know, narcissists have this way of it's like they want to separate you and put you in a place where you are filled with so much self-doubt that the only person that you turn to and confide in is them because they make it seem as if they are the only one who's able to do that for you and there for you. At, but at the same time, they treat you so badly that it's just like you begin to at some point think that you deserve to be treated this way because everything you're doing is wrong. The way that you're breathing is wrong because they've, it's like when you're a child, you know, and your parents talk to you and you, they tell you, you know, for some of us, we were called stupid when we were younger. Somebody calls you stupid continuously. You're going to start to think that you're stupid. Absolutely. And it's essentially just like, to me, the, the more grown up aspect shadow of that toxicity that you experience when you're younger, except now it's not your parents. Now you've you know, projected that onto your significant other, or it's projected onto you from your workplace because of these wounds that you carry. And like you said before, we we attract mirrors. There's so many mirrors. So it's like all of these wounds that you're that you're holding inside, and this energy that you are, depending where you are with that energy. You know, if you're very heavy in your toxic masculine energy you're going to find someone who's going to mirror that toxic female energy at you. And you guys are going to go and you're going to fit at first because you're both that opposite energy. But then that toxic side is going to come and it's it's going to be a doozy because both of you are both sides of the, of the extreme. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's pretty much how it works. It's what they call the dance, mm-hmm. right? The dance with the empath codependent with the narcissist or the person who's a, an a emotional or energy vampire, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, and this goes with my third red flag, which is lack of accountability. Mm-hmm. Like when you would call them out, they would gaslight you. Yep. You know, I know you, you have issues with anxiety and paranoia and depression, but don't take it out on me. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. So yeah. I confided in you. And you're now you're gonna you're gonna tr- put me on blast. Yeah, I, I had an ex boyfriend. I remember um, in the past I was on medication for like anxiety and depression and all of these things. Because um, you know, I there's no shame in medication. Sometimes you need medication, so just oh, yeah. shift yourself back to the point where you can be balanced on your feet again. And I remember we were having a conversation, and I was trying to tell him, you know, I think that you're depressed. And if you're depressed, you know, maybe you should see, speak to a therapist because it might be helpful. And I remember him looking at me dead in my face and being like, well, it's not like I want to fucking kill myself or anything like other people. And I remember just looking at him like, what? And he's like, well, I can fucking handle my shit. You know, I don't need to speak to a therapist and I don't want to fucking kill myself. So, you know, don't try to put your stuff off on me. And I remember sitting there being like, wow okay and that's the whole point guys tell me how you really feel you know (laughs) that's exactly why they do it that's early on when because they're grooming you they want to know all the deepest darkest secrets to exploit it when they see fit yeah that's the most disturbing thing about it. And we just we just gave you an example of how they exploit it, especially when uh, that stage comes to an end. Because like I said, it's a very brief stage when you're being love bombed, when they're mm-hmm. mirroring you and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. 
And when you confront them, it's usually that narcissistic injury and their response is usually gaslighting or projecting Mm -hmm. or just deflecting completely. I don't, you know, um, maybe I'm sorry you feel that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry that your trauma and your triggers are making you feel that way. And I remember with one boyfriend, we would talk about our triggers and I would be like, hey, you know, when because this is also another example like in our relationship and one of my um, red flags is communication Mm -hmm. if you're getting into arguments and you're fighting and then you're not talking about what happened and and discussing different things and trying to work them out to get to a place where you know you're both feeling better or even just discussing what happened you know there's a problem there's no communication for us I remember I would always talk about my triggers and one of my triggers was always like, Hey, when we argue and then we don't speak for three days, you know, I get triggered because I feel like we're just ignoring the situation. And then it would be like, well, in the beginning of our relationship, you said that if we're both angry, we shouldn't talk about it right then and there. So I'm giving it time to cool down. And I would be like, okay, but you know, we're not speaking to each other actively and ignoring each other for three days and like you're cooking food and I'm here and you're feeding yourself and you're looking at me like if I don't even exist and you know this doesn't feel good to me it it triggers me it feels very much like my past relationships and he would always be like well I'm not here to pay for your triggers in your past relationships so clearly this is a you thing and I would just sit there like oh okay you know like fine I guess, I guess, I guess it's a me thing. I'm the one who's triggered. So maybe you're right. You know, now I'm just like, oh, hell no. That was me trying to communicate with you. If we're fighting, we shouldn't be three days in the house, not talking to each other. And I'm the type of person, if I love you, even if I'm mad at you and we're, we're, we're having like a a fight or something, if I'm cooking, I'm still feeding you. You know, I'm not going to sit there and feed myself and not feed you. Like what, what, what kind of petty is that? There's no reason to be petty to the people that you love. You know, it's very toxic to be petty to the people that you love. And I'm very big on love languages. So I would always be like, Hey, like, let's figure out our love languages so that we can figure out how to love each other in, in better ways so that we can actually feel loved. And I remember I would be so heavy in their love languages and I would always feel like mine didn't even matter. And it's like, when I would communicate that, the response would always be deflecting. Well, you can't expect me to do things the way that you do them. And, you know, if I'm reacting this way, it's because you're not giving me what I needed. And I'd be like, oh, okay, well, we're not really discussing anything that happened. You're just kind of blaming me for everything. Like, oh, all right. You know, because that's how it is, because it's all about them. Yeah. Yeah. It's very self-censored. Your feelings, none of that matters. Okay. So they're going to, once that love bomb bubble bursts, because it will, it's just going to go from one extreme to another. They're going to go from uh, putting you up on a pedestal Mm -hmm. to devaluing you completely. Yeah. And when it comes to narcissists, you also have to remember love bombing comes in stages. If it ever gets to the point where they feel like they're losing that control over over you, that love bombing will begin again. Oh, yeah. It's a cycle because it's it's uh, the whole discard and devalue. You know what I mean? Um, It's always that same cycle. They love bomb. 
when you get to that phase, they say those little things to dig at you, to, to pick at your self-esteem, like little by little. Mm-hmm. And then it's the discard. Then when you try to move on, then they come back. Mm-hmm. They hoover, right? That's what they call that hoovering mm-hmm. process, like the, the vacuum cleaner. They suck you back into the game. And then the cycle begins all over again. But I find in my experience, right, in my experience with the hoovering process, it's a lot quicker. The love bombing is a lot quicker of a phase than it was the first time around. Because they already know. They Always shorter shorter and shorter as they get to know you more. Yeah, because they know all the things to to trigger you. So they don't need to dig any further. They know. So they just... They'll give you maybe a week or two of the honeymoon phase, and mm-hmm. then they'll just go in for the kill even worse they did the first time around. Yeah. Like, and, and it's to punish you because you actually tried to get away from them and move on. So yeah. it's gonna, so that's their exact intent. intent, And it's just, it's bad. It, it's just, you wonder to yourself, can someone actually be this like nefarious or this horrible? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, there are people like that. And again, I had, I had friendships like this too. Yeah, me too. I I would say the biggest thing, if you're, you guys are going to take anything away from this is one of the hardest lessons that I've learned is not everybody has the same heart as you. Right. So especially us as empaths, we tend to expect us from the other person, the same kind of love, same kind of compassion and understanding and you know, it's, it's a hard thing to realize and it's a hard lesson to take, but not everybody is as kind hearted as you, as you are and nobody, not everybody, not nobody, not everyone is going to show you the same compassion and love. And as you continue on this healing journey, you will start to attract people that are similar to you and do love in the similar ways that you do. But until we start to heal those core wounds, we are still you're going to continue to get those reflections of those core wounds and you're going to continue to attract the same kind of people in relationships of all forms. Um, I know for me, my mother wound was very heavy and, you know, I had this woman who I had considered my mentor and without even realizing me considering her my mentor, she was actually very toxic to me in many ways. Like I remember um, in one position that I had, because I worked with her various times, she got up at the end of the year and she spoke about me and she gave the speech and it was so beautiful. And I was like, oh my God, like I feel so seen. She really loved me. And then I came to find out a few years later that in the report that she submitted to that job that I had, she actually submitted a horrible report and said that she would not hire me. And she did not recommend them to hire me um, because this was like a volunteer position. And I would have never known. And then I went to work with her again around the time where my mother had passed away. And um, in the beginning, when I went to work with her, I remember her being upset because I got a higher salary than what she wanted them to give me. And you can visibly tell that this upset her. And then as I started getting invited to more meetings, I noticed that she would get more upset and try to find ways for me not to attend these meetings. I remember, um, I remember one time, I believe it was like my birthday or something. And I had a coworker who I believe lived in the Bronx, the meeting that we were supposed to attend was in the Bronx. So he was like, Hey, it's her birthday. I'll attend the meeting. And she was like, no, absolutely not. She needs to go. So it was like, I was up at like four o'clock in the morning on my birthday, tiny, tiny baby at home. 
to go travel to the Bronx because she insisted that on that day specifically, I had to go to this meeting. And I remember being like, wow, like, come on, like, I have a tiny baby who I'm taking out at four o'clock in the morning to, to drop him off at a babysitter to travel like three hours to go to the Bronx. And conveniently yeah. around your birthday at that. Yeah. And that's literally the day of another tactic, you know, the that? day of, yep. Another then, tactic is your birthday, holidays, mm-hmm. any type of day that's exceptional for you, they have, they have to, to make it shit. They have to ruin it. So that's definitely yeah. another. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. And then I remember when my mom passed away, she came to my mom's funeral. She gave this beautiful spiel about how I would always have my job and my seat would be there whenever I was ready to come back. And all of this beautiful things, which I've come to the conclusion, she was just very good at saying beautiful things. She knew how to present herself in a certain kind of way. And I went back to work and she extended my probation because she told me she didn't know if I was a good fit for the position. And I was like, so you came to my mom's funeral and told everybody that I would always have my job, that I did this amazing job there, that I was in the right place. And then I came back and you're telling me you don't know if I belong there. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, all right, I got to get the hell out of here. And then I remember too, when my mom passed away, I was at work. And I remember looking at the phone and telling my friend, like, my mom passed away. She was like, no, she didn't. You don't know that. And I was like, no. When I answer this phone, they're going to tell me my mom passed away. She was like, no, no, they're not. No, they're not. I answer the phone. My sister's like, mom passed away. I remember I dropped to the floor and I, I cry. This is my mother. And I remember her coming out of the room and telling me, you know, you're making a scene right now and you need to remember that you're at work and I don't mean to be mean or anything but you knew this was coming no shut up I swear and I remember being there and being like I can't I, I I'm sorry I'm just like I'm a loss for words like are you serious right now yeah and I remember being like okay and getting up and and sitting in a room and Everybody coming to talk to me. And I didn't think about it at the time. And now when I think about it, I'm like, oof, how bad were you trying to, like, how bad were you trying to hurt me? Like, because that that's not even me projecting. You were trying to hurt me. You were trying right. to be malicious to me. And I was just like, oh, wow. But then, like I said before, I've always been one of those people that if I notice you're treating me in a way that looks similar to a pattern of what I saw with my mother, I would leave you. So I left that job. I remember she was pissed. But I I was like, I gotta go. I don't know where the hell I'm going. At this time, I had a a one-year-old baby. I didn't know where the hell I was going. I had no savings. And I was like, no, I gotta go. But that ended up being a point in my life where after that was one of the first times that I woke up. And I feel like, and you know, while that situation sucked, I'm grateful for it because it gave me the opportunity to to wake up. And I think that that was one of the first real times in my life that I ever saw a situation and was like, "Mm -hmm, this is no good for me. This is no good for my soul. I got to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. And unfortunately, sometimes it takes a traumatic event to get you to that place. Because I mean, Let's call a spade a spade. That was a traumatic event. 
Yeah. Like, how are you going to tell someone who just lost their mother to, you know, keep it down or, you know, you're making a scene like completely devaluing their experience. Like who does that? But like you said, it led you to a place where you woke up to yourself and you developed a sense of awareness. Like I had enough of this place. It's not good for me. Yeah. And you know, I too had a similar experience because I had a supervisor from hell too. And uh, primarily was because she played favorites and liked to allow certain coworkers to get away with stuff and not work. And it was me and like two other girls that was picking up the slack for 12 women. Oof, I've been in those situations too. Oof. We were doing We were doing triple the workload Mm-hmm. While her favorites are reading the newspaper on the phone, you know, on break, like mm-hmm. they don't have a care in the world. And I was overworked to the point where I was physically sick at the time. I was Is that when you I- worked with Julie. Yes. Oh, my God. I remember you were so sick all the time, Jazz. We would always be so worried. Yes, I, I was because I, I was remember. overworked. I was overworked. Like. It was me, her, and like two other girls in the department that were picking up the slack for the entire room. Mm -hmm. And it was just way too much. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. And then I noticed when I would be sick, I would be out because I couldn't work. I'm in the hospital. I'm physically ill. Okay. And I would bring my doctor's notes and everything. I had medical evidence. I had proof. I would always bring my doctor's note every time. She went as far as to accuse me, accuse my, because my mother was in the medical field Mm -hmm. at the time. She accused my mother of doctoring up those papers. She, she She went to her supervisor and said that, that my mother is doctoring up these, these papers for me. And so I got pulled into the office by him and he asked me if that was true. And I said, are you serious right now? That's fraud. You're accusing my mother of fraud. Yeah. She could lose her medical license over this. Yeah. Are you kidding me right now? Also, I, like, uh, you know that I am sick. It is documented by doctors that I am sick and I suffer from all of these things. Why would I have to? She accused my mother of that. And then she was saying that I was taking the days off on purpose. No, I was honestly overworked. And you weren't doing anything to better the situation and make sure that there was an even workload among all the workers in the department. Mm -hmm. Okay. There was so much evidence and that's what got me upset because there was call logs. We would have weekly call logs that were printed out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Why am I taking 250 calls and someone else only 60 for the entire day? Yeah. And uh, not There's... even that. I'm taking 250 fucking calls. Are you not happy? <laughs> right. One person. When... A normal call load is usually like, like between psh, 80, Lord. sometimes 50. If 50 is like a normal yeah. day, yeah. I'm taking 250. Yeah, that, that's where your um, human design, your prodigal son um, 
connection comes in, but we'll talk about that in another episode. You're overachiever and they take full advantage of it. And it goes back to what you're saying, seeing you and seeing your trauma and seeing your things and, you know, taking advantage of it, using it against you. Like, how, how are you getting in trouble? And you're making 250 calls. Mm-hmm. Crazy. And at that point, I chose myself, Millie. I said, this is breaking my body down. Yeah. And my supervisor is not doing anything to better the situation. She accused me of lying. She accused me of fraud. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't stomach her anymore. Yeah. Good for you. I, yeah. I just, I cut my losses and I, and I left. And similar yeah. to you, I, I didn't have much money saved or whatever, but I, I did have another job to fall back on. Yeah, but I just needed to do this for me, and I really did love the job as a whole. I loved where I worked, and I, my, I made friends there. Yeah, and it was a great job, but I just couldn't be in that toxic environment anymore. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, because of that job is actually how we connected. I would have never known you if you if you never worked there. Interesting yeah. enough, right? That's exactly right. Yep. Um. But on that note, guys, we are actually probably going to make this a two-part episode because there is so much more about codependency and toxic relationships and narcissism that we haven't touched on. Um, So we're going to go into our Oracle reads um, for the day, and we are going to pick this up next week. So if you do have any questions or comments that you'd like to make or points that you'd like to talk to us about, please feel free to leave us a comment so that we can include it in the second part of this episode. Um, So I'll go first, Chas, since I've already shuffled to give you a chance to shuffle. Um, So my card for this is emergence, and I feel like it fits so well. You know, I know a lot of us don't want to hear this, um, but in all of the things that we go through, in all of the trauma, in all of the, you know, toxic relationships, horrible connections, all of these things, there is patterns and lessons. And I've come to learn within my spiritual journey that these relationships are here to make you aware of these patterns. These relationships are here to teach you lessons. And when you take the time to reflect, you take the time to look back, you take the time to really understand why it is that you continue to get into the same type of relationships, be it at work, in your romantic relationships, you know, even with your family, why, you know, you have certain family members that you guys just don't get along, but you continue to get into the same kind of arguments and the same kind of things keep happening, you know, when you reflect and you take the time to really understand it and really learn that lesson and let go of those negative feelings that you're carrying and just carry the lesson, you know, that emergence starts, that emergence of you putting yourself first, you understanding what the pattern is and deciding to make a change and deciding that you're not going to take it anymore. And it's kind of like you begin to go into like this cocoon stage, of becoming this butterfly. And when you're taking these steps and you're deciding not to take any more, you're deciding to put yourself first, the the real you, the real, real you that you actually are starts to emerge. And to me, that's something that's beautiful because when you get to a point where you're starting to know yourself and hold yourself as sacred, 
beautiful things start to happen in your house. Beautiful things start to emerge. Blessings start to come in. All of these things start getting attracted to you because you finally decided that you're worth more than what everybody's giving you. And that to me is just beautiful. This is exactly why we started the podcast with a series of episodes leading up to this because we've had so many people already access mm-hmm. to an episode on toxic relationships, to an episode on codependency or narcissism and all this stuff. But we didn't want to just start there. We wanted to get to the root of things first and yeah. talk about the process of healing through trauma, core wounds, inner child work, all these things because it is there that you will know how to navigate through these type of connections or encounters with people in a healthy way. Yeah. So, and even when it gets to the point where you're like, oh, no, red flag, red flag, red flag. Mm, right. Sorry, I don't think I want to be with you. I don't want to get into this relationship with you. Yeah. You'll yeah. be able to see it and, and, and like acknowledge, okay, this is what I'm dealing with. And I guess next week we could touch on how to uh, neutralize or how to work through these situations when you're dealing with these red flags and you encounter it like what do you do right because I'm sure everybody's probably like okay I've been through this or there's somebody actually doing this to me right now like what do I do I get away yeah I think we should also talk about some of the signs of codependency as well because I feel like a lot of us are raised to essentially be codependent and you know sometimes we don't even know what that means that said, let's see what card I have here. Uh, this week I'm using the Chopper Wisdom or- Oracle cards because I kind of felt like we went with the theme today. Yeah. Really good I deck. I don't use Chakra it often. meditation before this. So yeah, you're always like right there with me. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> so this is a really, this is a really good deck and uh, it, it just gives you sort of like these really deep, meaningful uh, some of the cards are kind of dark, but it's because, again, that's the nature of our, our of things. Yeah, There's light aspects and dark mm-hmm. aspects. So we have service. And I feel like as you understand toxic red flags mm-hmm. and even toxic behaviors within yourself, because truth be told, like you said, like attracts like. If yeah. you're attracting a toxic person, there's actual toxic behaviors and coping mechanisms that you are projecting outwardly as well so it kind of goes hand in hand and I think the service here is being a service to yourself and understanding I have no control over their toxic behaviors only my own Mm -hmm. and I need to make the necessary changes in order to fully heal so that I don't continue this pattern of attracting these people over and over and over again. So for me, that's what I feel this has to do with. And and at the end of the day, guys, it's it's this is about your healing process again. Like it, it may be very painful encountering these people and the things that they do, but the light at the end of the tunnel is it makes you become more self aware. Yeah. It makes you develop more boundaries and ma- maintain those boundaries. And I think that's something else we should t- touch on next week. Boundaries, uh, boundaries, boundaries because I found that being the biggest problem when dealing with people who were toxic mm-hmm. was my own lack of boundaries. So yeah. 
we'll definitely get into that guys but ultimately i feel like that's the message of the card as you do this healing work as you learn more about uh the traumas and the wounds uh you're you're providing a service to yourself in order for you to be protected and you'll know how to act accordingly when these people come because truth be told they're everywhere they're unavoidable that we just talked about in the workplace they're people you date uh we didn't touch on this but they're in your family guys we'll get probably into that as well yes they are (laughs) okay they are are everywhere they're honestly unavoidable but as you do this work you will know how to navigate through this so this was a really good episode and um I hope it was helpful because there was a lot of stuff I haven't gotten out in a long time so this is kind of cathartic for me honestly that that experience that I shared with uh, my work experience too, um, that actually came up for me recently because it was one of the things that I hadn't thought about that I needed to acknowledge and heal, you know, and I just want to let everybody know we, this journey is not easy. As Shah said, it's going to be hard, but I just want to say to you, you know, don't take it lightly that you've been chosen to be one of the cycle breakers of your ancestry, of your lineage. This is a job that is not for the weak. This is a job that is not going to be easy, but you specifically were chosen for this. So really think about what that means and really think about the beauty in that. Really think about who you are when you've been chosen to do this work because that strength and that light that you have inside of you is so bright that you're literally breaking cycles. You're literally healing your lineage. You're literally changing things for everyone who is to come after you. And really think about the beauty in that and really think about the strength and the courage and the compassion and all of the beautiful things that you are in order to be able to do so. Yes. <laughs> so, that yeah, night, I, right? I knew we were probably going to have to break this episode up into yeah. like segments because in parts, I mean, because so much to cover, but we're ready for it. And uh, thank you guys again for all the support and the feedback. Yeah, we love you guys so, so much. (laughs) Can't emphasize that enough. You guys have been amazing. For everyone that has been listening, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And this is why we keep on doing what we're doing here. Yeah, we'll continue to be a voice until you're ready to come with us. Open arms, guys, always. Yes. Bye, guys. We love you. Thanks for listening to this episode and continuing on this journey with us. Be sure to join our growing communities on Facebook and Instagram. We can't wait to have you back with us next week. Thank you for allowing us to be your voice. Until next time, remember to take care and be kind to yourself.